0: Real talk. Let's talk about it. You guys still like that? Good. We'll keep doing it for a little bit. Good morning. We uh, are so glad you're here. Hey, uh, two things, real quick. Three things. First, thank all of you for being involved in Night to Shine, man. It was a fantastic time. And uh, just a special event, uh, special ministry here at the Bible Chapel, and thank all of you uh, for making it happen. We appreciate it. Two dates I want you to get on your calendars. Number one, March the 21st. If you're a parent, relevant, relevant parenting series or conference that uh, Saturday morning, March 21, from 9 till noon, we have childcare, so make sure you come to that March 21st in a few weeks. And Dave D'Onato will be leading that. It's going to be a great conference, and we encourage you to be a part of that. Also, I know this is a ways off, but I want you to get it on your calendars, May 30 and 31, May 30, 31. On May 30, we have our next celebration service, a night of worship where we come together. Man, it's a fun time when we pack out this place from all of our campuses, and we just enjoy great worship. Uh, that's on May 30th, and then on May 31st, we go back uh, to our campuses, and here at the South Hills, we have baptisms, we have uh, baby dedications, uh, we, have, we recognize anniversaries, special anniversaries, we do new members, a whole bit, so uh, just, just mark that down and be a part of that. If you have not, if you've not been baptized as a believer... We want to encourage you to do that. We're happy to talk with you about that. Uh, and we have a little uh, um, ministry that you go through, a little training that you go through. If you wanna do a video, you can do that. You don't have to, but we'd love for you to be baptized on May 31st. If you have a 25 or 50th wedding anniversary and it has never been acknowledged here at the church, don't worry about when it took place or when it didn't take place. If it's never been, acknowledged here at the church, we would love to celebrate with you that 25th or 50th wedding anniversary, and we'll get a picture of your wedding uh, when you were married, and then present day, and we'll, we'll just celebrate what God has been doing in your life, all right? Those two dates. And then the last thing is, uh, we're in this uh, short series uh, in 1 Corinthians regarding sexuality, and, We've done this book, Created for Oneness, a biblical framework for marriage and sexuality. Uh, We talk about here God's design. Uh, We talk about the commitment of marriage. We talk about living together and why that doesn't work uh, in uh, in a marriage relationship. And also talk about uh, alternative uh, marriage, uh, gay marriage, homosexuality. That's in the book. And uh, it's in the bookstore. You're welcome to get it after the service. All right, let's pray together and ask God for His help as we uh, open His Word. Father, we thank You. That you are a God who loves us and as we have heard the children leading us, uh, Lord, you are, you are forever faithful. You uh, always, you always provide us exactly what we need right when we need it. And Father, we thank you that uh, your love is unfailing. We, we have also sung about um, uh, the fact that death was arrested at the, at the, at the uh, cross. We celebrated communion, Lord, that reminds us of the work that Jesus did for us on the cross. And then one day, just as death was arrested and Christ rose from the dead, so we now can live this new life in you and one day be raised eternally as well. So Lord, we thank you for all that you do in our lives and Lord, we got some practical things to talk about today. A great gift that you've given us, and we pray, Lord, that you would speak through your word to each one of us. And today we pray in Christ's name, Amen. So, when our, our son uh, Garrison was in high school, he did this uh, project that involved building a, a cardboard house and he kind of put it together with duct tape, it was a big house. Is I don't remember, like five feet wide and about six feet tall. And uh, he did the project, and, and and that all went fine. And we have this kind of this wraparound porch with wooden uh, plank floor. And he sat the, the house uh, on our porch, and it sat uh, right in the front uh, porch for a long time, well after the project was over. And so Lori would keep telling him, you got to get that thing out of there, and he kept not... Put, he kept putting it off. So it was an Easter weekend, Saturday, and Lori told Garrison, today is the day. Whatever happens today, that thing's gonna be gone by the time the sun sets. You've got to get that thing done. So um, I was uh, I was gone most of that Saturday, and um, again, it was Easter weekend. We were gonna have some people over on Sunday. Lori did not want that on the front porch. And, and uh, after uh, the Easter, Saturday Easter service, I went home and uh, we were all eating together and we were having a, you know, a good time. We kind of just sat down to eat and uh, we got this frantic knock on the side door. Uh, a neighbor said, your porch is on fire again. And I looked at Laura and said, again, what's that about? And she said, ask your son. Uh when, when she used your instead of our, that was never good for Garrison and never good for me either. After the second fire was put out, uh, I, I learned about the first fire. Uh, Garrison had, had taken his time, like most of the day, for this 10-minute uh, project of tearing down the, the cardboard box, and he'd taken all that duct tape. And he kind of wadded it up in a ball. And then as he tells the story, he was just curious to see if duct tape burns. <clears throat> and so he, he lit it with a lighter. And sure enough, duct tape burns. And it burns hot. And it burns fast. And it's, it actually started our porch on fire. It was so hot that the, the porch started on fire. Neighbors were running around the neighborhood uh, trying to help out and Garrison. He, uh, he thought he put it out, right, but didn't quite put it out, and that's why the second fire started, just ignited uh, there on the porch uh, the, second, the second time. In, in our house, we have this, this hangout room downstairs, our TV room, and, and we, have a, we have a fireplace uh, there that wood burning and, and immense fun and, it's, you know, it's the smell of smoke and the whole thing, and then Right above that, upstairs, we have another fireplace, and uh, a few years ago, we decided to put a a gas uh, line in there and make that like kind of just one of those fake fireplace things. And so, the the main gas line was running through the porch into the house, and that fire was about a foot from that gas line where you turn on the fire. It's just, by God's grace, uh, the house did not uh, blow up. Brittany, our oldest daughter, was home from, uh, from college, Grove City, and uh, that weekend, and she brought four or five or six friends home with her um, for Easter Sunday. They got in late Saturday and, and, and came to one of the early service. I was still here, and, and uh, they were back at home with Lori, and they were in the kitchen just talking, and Garrison walked in with a bouquet of flowers and gave them to Lori and said, sorry for almost killing you yesterday. <clears throat> So um, those friends never turned their back on Garrison the rest of the time they were at our house, even after they heard the story, especially after they heard the story. So we love fires in our house, as long as they're in the fireplace. Man in the fireplace, cool, uh, don't you love a fire? This brings warmth and, and, and great smell. Uh, you can sit watching the fire and it pops and it crackles, and, and it's soothing. A fire in a fireplace is fantastic. But outside the fireplace, man, it can, uh, it can burn things down, and it can blow things up. And so it is with sex. Within its, <clears throat> its proper place of marriage, between a man and a woman, man, there is nothing like it. It is fantastic. Anyone agree? Good, good. It, man, it brings warmth and freshness and intimacy, uh, reconsummating, if that's even a word, our, our marriage. I say, I would, I would do this all over again just with you. But man, outside, outside of marriage, it can blow things up and it can burn families down. So we're studying through the book of 1 Corinthians, a book that Paul addresses uh, several issues. Uh, We've we, we, we seen that uh, Paul was in Corinth and he, was, he, he built the church there, he started the church, he stayed there a year and a half. And then um, after a year and a half, he uh, went back uh, to Jerusalem and started then his third missionary journey. And so, if we fast forward now, it's about five to seven years uh, after Paul founded the church, and um, he gets a knock on his door. He's in Ephesus. He's in Ephesus, uh, starting a church there, and he gets a knock on his door one day, and it's people from Corinth, and they're saying, Paul, the church you started in Corinth is in a mess, there's disunity all over the place. There, there, there's bad doctrine going on. I mean, there's a whole bunch of pride. And, and you won't believe this, but there is some sexual immorality going on. And that's what Paul addresses in chapter 5, 6, and 7 of 1 Corinthians. The, the, the believers say, Paul, you're not going to believe this, but... There's a man in our church, he says he's a believer, he's right in our church, and he is sleeping, everybody knows it, the whole town knows it, he's sleeping with his stepmother. Paul, that's not right, and Paul, as bad as that is, it gets worse, the leaders of the church have their heads stuck in the sand, and they're not doing anything about it. So Paul addresses that in chapter 5. And then they say, Paul, man, some people regarding sexuality, they're like playing the grace card. They're saying, I'll sleep with anyone I want to sleep with. You just do whatever you want to do. There's these temple prostitutes, the temple of Aphrodite, about a thousand temple prostitutes. They're claiming this is a religious experience. They can do whatever they want to do. There are others in the church that are saying, you know what, sex is like just eating. If I'm hungry, I want a hamburger. If I want sex, I just go have sex. It's just a a function, biological function. And then there are some, they come from the school of Gnosticism, where the body is evil and only the spirit is good. And and Paul, they're saying, it doesn't even matter what I do with my body. I can have sex if I want to have sex with anyone I want. It doesn't matter. It's just the spirit. So Paul says, got to address that. And he addresses that in chapter 6. In chapter 7, he's going to address sex within marriage. And before we get there, I'd like to do uh, one thing real quick. Let's just, let's just reset the biblical framework that we've set throughout this short series. First of all, we've said that sex is God's idea and God's design. Whenever we study sexuality in scripture, we always have to go back to the framework. Sex is God's idea and God's design. Genesis chapter two verse seven, then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man, body and soul, man became a living creature. So, so in chapter two, verse seven of Genesis, God stooped down and he, and he scooped from the dust and he formed man. That word form is the Hebrew word yatsar. It means to shape or fashion. And so God shapes the man and then later the woman with all the complementary parts. When that word yatsar is put in, a, that verb is put in a noun form, it means a potter working with clay. And so you have in Isaiah chapter 64, verse 8, O Lord, you are our father. We are the, cl- we are the clay. You are the potter, Yatsar. We are the work of your hands. God designed and, and formed the body. It is his design. Sex is his idea. One writer says this about the body. Bodies are not simply pieces of furniture to decorate or display. They're not trappings about which we have conflicted feelings. They are not objects to be dieted away, made to conform to popular standards, or made to perform unthinkable athletic feats with the help of drugs. They are neither tools for scoring points nor burdens to overcome. Your body, Scripture says, is a special gift of God. we, we, We protect it. We keep it healthy. We never abuse it, and we never use it. For casual sex or quick hookups. First Corinthians chapter six, verse nineteen. You remember last time Paul said, "Or do you not know that your body is a temple of God?" Using rhetorical question to make a strong point. Don't you know? Surely you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives within you. God in the form of his spirit, this is this blows our minds, right? Lives within us. And you are not your own. You were bought with a price. That's what we did with communion today. We remember that Jesus bought us with a price. We don't ever wanna forget that. And because Jesus bought us with the price, because Jesus came and paid the penalty for our sin on the cross, Paul says, so glorify God in your body. Everything you do, everything you say, everything you are, and here in the context of sexuality, glorify God with your body. Sex is God's design. The second part of this framework is this, and we have got as believers to to, to grasp this and teach this to our kids. God says yes to sex. It's his idea. It's his design. God says yes to sex. Our culture has taken it away from us ever since Genesis 3, it has been perverted, and we have allowed the culture to take it away, and man will always pervert it, and man will always force it, and man will always abuse it and prostitute it, and it will be used to entice men and women into pornography, and it will be used for sex trafficking, and it will be used to sell everything from candy bars to cars. That's what the world will do with it. And if we let culture take it, and if we let culture set the pace with it, and if we let culture share the narrative of it, We will always be saying as Christians, no, kids, don't do that. Stay away from that. Instead of saying, well, time out. This is God's idea. God says yes to this. This is a great gift that God has given us. And we're going to say yes to sex in the context of marriage between a man and a woman. You know what the first command of Scripture is? Anyone know what the first command of Scripture is? The very first command of Scripture deals with sex. Anyone ever know that? Anyone care that they didn't know? The first command of Scripture deals with sex. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, God says what? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Now, God just doesn't say sex is for just procreation. Just to, just, to, just to fill the earth, throughout scripture, God says, man, this is, this is this beautiful gift that I've given you. Proverbs chapter five, verses 18 through 20. Let, the, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. I love this. Be intoxicated. Don't you love that? Be intoxicated always in her love. Be drunk with the love of your spouse. And then Paul, not Paul, the writer of Proverbs says, why should you be intoxicated, my son, with the forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? Why would you want to do that when God gives you this beautiful gift between a husband and a wife? Be intoxicated With each other's love. I know this is going to be hard to believe, but some couples in Corinth were having issues regarding sex in marriage. Can you believe that? Look at verse 1 of chapter 7. Remember, these Corinthians show up and they say, Paul, we've got these issues and they even brought a list of issues. And so Paul says, now concerning the matters about which you wrote. Paul is writing this letter. He's sending it back with those representatives. So those representatives have brought this question to Paul. So Paul's saying, I want to issue, I'm going to deal with this issue about which you wrote. And we see the quotes here. So, this came, this wasn't Paul, what Paul said. This was a question from the Corinthians, from some in the Corinthian church. It is good, they're saying, it is good for a man not to have sexual relationships with a woman. It's good for a man not to have sexual relationships with a woman. Now, remember back in chapter 6, verse 12, there were some people who said, man, Anything goes. I'll have sex anytime I want with whoever I want to. Those temple prostitutes, bring them on. I'll do anything I want. God will forgive me. All things are lawful. Remember that? We looked at that last time. This is the other side of the spectrum, the other end of the spectrum. This group says, no, not all things are lawful at all. It's not sex anytime, anywhere with anyone. This group says, no time, nowhere, no one You abstain from sex. Now, we don't know if this group was saying never get married or they were saying even if you're married, you abstain from sex within. But Paul says, man, time out. We gotta talk about this. You can imagine what this teaching was doing to marriages, the confusion, frustration in the church. Now, Paul uses this to say, yes, there are times, there are times when men and women are called to live a life of abstinence or live a life of celibacy, sometimes for a period, sometimes for their whole life. Look at chapter 7, uh, verse 6 through 8. Paul says, now as a concession Not as a command. We'll go back to that in a second. As a concession, not as a command. I say this: I wish that all of you were as as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. We'll stop there. Paul says, just as a concession, not as a command. Paul's saying, I'm single and I have no desire to get married, I have no desire for sexual relationships, he says, I wish you were as I am, but I'm just saying that as a concession, that's not the command of scripture. Now, why would Paul say that? In order to understand that, we need to look at the history of what's going on in Corinth at that time, at this time. There were three known empire-wide famines going on during this time. Also, there was persecution, or it was either happening or getting ready to happen, and Paul knew it was coming. And so Paul's simply saying, right now, not forever and ever, amen, but right now, during this time, if you're single, it would be better for you to stay single because it's going to be easier for you to feed yourself than feed a family of six, right? So right now, as a concession, not as a command, also, persecution's common. and it's going to be easier for you as a single to escape persecution than it would be for you to lead your family out of, of the city during persecution or care for your family during that time. and if you're single, you can help others who are going through challenging times. That makes sense? So Paul's saying, as a concession, just for now, verse seven, I wish that all were as I am, but each has his own gift. That's the gift of celibacy. That's the gift of God takes away the desire for sexual relations. But he says some people have it, and then some people don't. Look at verse 8 and 9. Paul says, to the unmarried, so that would be the, those who are single and those who are divorced... To the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to remain single, again, because of the times. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should go ahead and marry. For even in these times, Paul says, it's better to marry than to what? To burn with passion. Now, when Paul says that, he's not saying, when he says he can't can't exercise self-control, he's not saying, you weak wimps, you can't control yourselves. You're not saying that. He is simply saying that the sexual desire is strong. And if you have that sexual desire, you've not been given the gift of celibacy. And if you have that sexual desire, it's better for you, even in these times, better for you to get married, better for you to get married than to burn with passion. Just think how vividly Paul paints that picture. Sometimes in church we get we get bashful about talking about sex. And Paul says burn with passion. That's pretty vivid, right? Right? Okay. Now very practically, if you're single or single again, how do you know God wants you to stay single? How do you know that? Well, based on this, God would take away the desire for sexual relations. Make sense? God would take that away if he wants you to stay single or continue to be single. If he doesn't and you still have that desire, then Paul says it's better for you to go ahead and get married. It's better for you to marry than to burn with passion. So go ahead and get married. It's a gift from God not to have that desire. If you don't have that gift, then if you're single and you don't have that gift, it's better for you to marry. That makes sense? So if you're single, that's a very practical way you can determine, is this where God wants me the rest of my life or or not? That issue of sexuality. Look at verse 2. Go back up to verse 2 now. Dealing, having dealt with those who are unmarried and those who are uh, widowed, Paul now goes back and says, okay, let's let's talk about this in the context of marriage. So, you've written to me the statement it's good for a man not to have sexual relationships with a woman and vice versa. Look at verse 2. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each wife her own husband. Because of that, of that temptation, you should go ahead and get married. Now, Paul is, just to be clear, Paul is not saying the only reason you need to get married is to have sex. He's not saying that. He's going to write in Ephesians chapter 5 about the, about the beauty of marriage and just the aspect of, of, um, of uh, this mystery of Christ and the church and how that's likened to a, a man and a woman, the beauty of it. Paul honors marriage uh, from the Old Testament. It's always been honored. Genesis chapter 2, a man shall leave his father and mother and cling to his wife and the two will become one flesh. Paul's saying, man, there's some great things going on in marriage. That one-flesh relationship is physical oneness, an exclusive sexual commitment. It's spiritual oneness. It's a growing together in your walk with Christ. It's emotional oneness. It's missional oneness. Paul says, this is a beautiful gift. So, So you don't get married just to have sex, right? Right. And... Sex in marriage is very important part of the relationship, right? Right. In the history of the church, there have been some strange uh, teaching on the issue of sex. St. Augustine lived in the 300s and and he said uh, um, uh, sex was corrupt and um, it was a vehicle of transmitting original sin. Uh, Pope Gregory I uh, he lived in the 400s in the and 500s. He said this, I believe, quote, sexual pleasure can never be without sin. It's for procreation only. So you can go ahead and have it to have kids, but you better not enjoy it one little bit. <laughs> Between the 3rd and 10th century, so 400s to 1100s, the church said, the Roman Catholic Church said, you married couples, you cannot have sex on Saturdays. Wednesdays and Fridays, and you can't have sexual relations during the 40-day fasts before Easter and Christmas or any religious holiday. One historian did the math, (laughs) and between the 3rd and 10th century, married couples, you only had 44 days a year to have sex. That's why they call it the Dark Ages. The point of this passage is very clear. Husbands and wives, know and fulfill your spouse's sexual needs. Look at verse 3. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal needs, rights, and likewise the wife to her husband's. Husbands, you need to be aware of your wife's sexual needs. You need to be a student of your wife. This involves the words you use, the care you give, the back rubs you give without any thought of what you want to happen after the back rubs. When it comes to sexuality, women lead emotionally. Emotionally. Wives, you need to be aware of your husband's sexual needs. For him, it is not that complicated. In fact, we have a little graph to show you. (laughs) It just ain't that complicated, right? (laughs) God has wired the man. God did it. To have sexual, to, to have need for sexual release every 48 to 74 hours, 74, 48 to 72 hours. That's just the way God wired us. But just to put it in perspective, uh, I want to show you a picture of of this guy. I um, this came through the news feed uh, this Friday. I wouldn't have even thought of this had it not shown up on my news feed. But 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 this is called um, an anti-kindness. Anyone heard of an anti This guy's a maniac. Uh, he <laughs> he has for 3 weeks he has he has this he just is a maniac for 3 weeks he has so much sex in 3 weeks that he die, he goes blind and dies. <laughs> I don't know why I think that's funny, but that's funny, right? <clears throat> He dies with a smile on his face, but but he dies. Three weeks. All right, back to Scripture. You guys got away from Scripture. Verse 4, for the wife does not have authority over her body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Does. Now, when, when the Corinthians would have read that, that would have been radical, radical stuff. Because in that day, in 50 AD to 100 AD, and, and long after, a husband owned his wife. And Paul says, not the way it works for those of us who follow Jesus. Husband authority and wife authority. We do this thing together. There's, there's, a, there's a mutual authority. There's a mutual meeting of needs. Paul says that husband and wife, and you, you got to know each other, and you come together to meet each other's needs. Now, I'm going to stop here real quick. This verse has been abused by many men. The guy didn't read the second sentence. And many men have used this verse to hurt and abuse and force this beautiful gift that God has given. And that's not the way it happens. There might be times of illness, physical issues, emotional issues that rule over men, if you lead with Christ-like love, that rule over Physical satisfaction. Please hear me. Even in marriage, sex is never forced. Men lead in a Christ-like way. Look at verse 7. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of Self control. So Paul says, there may be, you need to meet each other's needs. There may be times when you say, We are going to abstain, we both agree, not just one person saying that, but we both agree, and we're going to do it for a good reason, prayer, and we're going to do it for a period of time, right? But then what's Paul say? Just think about, think of the power of sex behind these words that Paul's saying. But then come back together, so what? So that Satan will not tempt you. So that Satan won't drive a wedge in your relationship. Come back together. So Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So let me say this, I want you to hear this. Is an affair ever justifiable? The answer is no with a thousand exclamation marks. No, never, ever. I want you to hear that. An affair is never, ever justifiable. And if you don't steward this gift of sex well, it heightens the temptation. Is it ever justifiable? No. Absolutely not. Do some marriages make it a real temptation? Yeah. And that's why Paul in chapter 7 verse 5 says, "If you're not going to if you're going to abstain, keep it short. Make sure there's a good reason. Make sure both of you agree. And then come back together so Satan doesn't tempt you. So Satan doesn't use this great gift of God. This is a great gift of God. To drive a wedge into your relationship. Sex is God's idea, right? God's design. And man, when, uh, when you enjoy it in, in a relationship, there's nothing like it. It's a great gift. Sometimes we, we make it out, we put it on such a pedestal, we do that on our own or, or, or we read stuff or see stuff. And, and so if we look at it in the wrong sense, we're always going to be disappointed. So let me say it like this. <clears throat> a few uh, years ago, Laura and I went to this great uh, restaurant downtown, and it was fantastic. It was, um, it was on the, uh, Mount Washington, and we had a table right by the, right by the window, and it's so fun to, to you know, Pittsburgh's is beautiful uh, when you look out uh, and see all the lights at night. And uh, we had one waiter, like this, it was a great restaurant. It was a special time for, event for us. And so this one waiter, like he waited on us all night, one guy. And he came, and um, and he brought, you know, I think it was a salad first, and that was cool, and the salad was great. And then he brought this, I thought it was sherbet, and I said, man, I didn't order dessert. And all he gets is a salad, and Lori said, just relax. Lori's a little more cultured. She said, that's sorbet, and that cleanses your palate for the next course. Cool. So... We had the next course, and it was fantastic, and this guy comes, and we had the next course, and man, it's just, a, it's just an amazing eating experience that night, right? Afterwards, I was full. I was satisfied. We don't always go to that restaurant. Sometimes when we're out driving around, um, say, Lori, you hungry? Yeah, I'm hungry. Let's go to Chick-fil-A, right? And Lori gets a salad. And I get the three strips in that sauce. If you dip anything in that sauce, it's good, right? In fact, I tell you what—I'll treat everyone at Chick Fil A after church today. Uh, I'm not kidding. I would. I would if I could. And so after the after the strips and the sauce, guess what? I'm satisfied. It's good. So it is with sex. Sometimes it is like, and Mill on Mount Washington, right? It is fantastic. It's like mind blowing. It's like saying, God, thank you for this great gift that you have given. Fantastic. Sometimes it's like a drive-through. Right? Like the kids are down the hall. There are dirty dishes in the sink. There's some issue with parents. Things aren't always going well at the job or with the kids. Some stress going on. Sometimes it is a mind Blowing experience sometimes is just beautifully normal and satisfying. This great gift that God has given us as a husband and wife. Steward the gift well, right? Don't allow this great gift to cause temptation. If you need counseling, because of some past issues, my goodness, get counseling. 1 Corinthians 7, 5. So Satan doesn't use this to blow up your relationship and family and legacy. Do what you need to do to steward this gift well. We prayed for the men two weeks ago. We prayed for the women last time. Let's just all stand this time and let me pray for all those who are married. If you're standing with your spouse, grab their hand and let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this great gift of sex that you designed and you created. So now we have couples standing here, Lord, husband and wife. They stood at an altar and they said... Man, we are in this thing together for better or worse, for richer or poor, in sickness and in health. We are committed to each other. And, And Lord, this one flesh relationship is such a big part of that commitment. And so I pray for every couple. I pray, Lord, that you would allow them to just enjoy each other as you intended for them to enjoy each other. I pray that you never let Satan use your gift, your gift that you said yes to, that you designed. I pray you never let Satan use that beautiful gift to drive a wedge into a great relationship. I pray for those maybe struggling, Lord, and I pray that you would not allow Satan to... to cause a person to justify going outside of the marriage relationship to satisfy needs. I pray, Father, that all couples here will will recommit themselves to you to steward this great gift. We pray all those things in Jesus' name. Amen.